I suppose the industry is different now. It's difficult. Um, it, well, it could be perceived as difficult. It's actually not that difficult once you uh, understand how it all works. But it can be difficult to get heard. Don't don't give up. Keep trying to hone your craft. Make it as good as you can be. And uh, don't listen to some of the people high up if they ignore you or, or don't like a tune because there'll be somebody out there which does and who's also prepared to give you time and advice. What is up, producers? It is Sam Mantler here. Uh, you're listening to the EDM Podcast, episode 39. Now, it's been a couple of weeks since the last episode, so I apologize for that, uh, but hopefully this episode makes up for it. I talked to Grammy-nominated producer Andy Moore, an English trance and progressive producer. Uh, his discography is nothing short of impressive. He's done remixes for artists like Tiesto, BT, Armin Van Buren, and he's also collaborated with other standout artists, and groups like Above and Beyond, Ashley Woolbridge and Marcus Schultz. He's also the founder of Ava Recordings, uh, which is one of my favorite labels, great music. And they've just had their 150th release, a track called Look Back, which is a collaboration between Somna uh, and Andy Moore. And it also coincides with their 10 year anniversary, which we talk about. We also talk about creating vocal chop sequences and if you know Andy's music you'll know that uh, his vocal chop sequences are nothing short of amazing. Uh, Andy's advice for new producers and how to find balance if you have a busy schedule uh, plus a range of other things. So I hope you enjoy the interview and without further ado here is Andy Moore. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Welcome back everyone to the EDM podcast. Today I'm with a very special guest, uh, Andy Moore. Andy, how's it going? I'm good, thank you Sam. How are you? Very good. Uh, Andy, I think you're what people call an overachiever. In 2004, you were awarded Best Trance Track in the title of Best Trance Producer. Uh, at the International Dance Music Awards in 2006, you were awarded Best Dance Record. You also started Ava Recordings during this year. In 2008, you were nominated for a Grammy. And throughout these years, you've consistently ranked high in the DJ Mag Top 100. So you've obviously achieved a lot, but I want to go all the way back to the start. How did you initially get into music? Tell us a bit about your background. Um, well, my my original background from when I was a child that I started playing piano and just got introduced to uh, a little crappy keyboard when I was about five. Mm. So that was the very beginning, and then throughout education, I just I was just desperate to try to make these kind of synthy squelchy sounds, which I called them in my head. 
<laughs> and obviously, little did I know that there were synthesizers at that time. So, so I just pursued pursued it as much as possible. Obviously, no internet or anything. So, mm. I just tried to find books or magazines and try to understand everything. And then I was um, teased. Well, not teased. What's the word called? Yeah, teased by my school by having a Korg M1, which nobody knew how to use throughout mm. my high school. So I went to get some work experience in a recording studio and just sat in there and watched and learned. And then when it came time to start university, I started music tech. And at, But at the same time, uh, I started getting my tracks released. So yeah, that's how, that's how, that's the very beginning. Awesome. So, so at university, uh, what does music tech involve? Because I, um, yeah, I haven't heard of Sky, oh, music technology. Oh, music technology, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it mostly involved messing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what got yeah. you, did you start out making making trance or or was it something else? When I first started, when I was um, when I was making amateur music on like a very cheap PC with a sound card, mm. uh, it was trance. That's what I wanted to make. So when I got my hands on a real studio, then the guys that, that had access to the studio and were in control of it were making more of the progressive sound. Mm. so i got my head around that and that's what they wanted me to make so that's what my early professional so to speak productions were right gotcha and on your uh the the old computer with the sound card what daw were you using back then um i think it was a the original daw would have been the notator but then when i got the sound card with that with actual sounds which weren't just midi um that was a yamaha or something it was just the oh. software that came with the sound card okay and what are you using today um uh, cube uh, logic i had to think about that <laughs> <laughs> logic Pro, uh, yeah, x logic. x or nine i'm on nine still i'm actually very old i'm on a very old out of date system i didn't change it yet just until yeah. i've got about month to spare so i can get everything set back up oh yeah of course a lot of people are still using mine though i've found oh, oh really yeah yeah surprising um so you just got, did a collaboration with somna uh the track is called look back and it's the 150th release on ava is that right yes yeah, yeah yeah that's right uh tell us a bit about that track and, and the production process behind it well we we were coming up to the 150th release and we didn't really have any specific tune for this at the time. I didn't have a tune. So um, some we I had about a week to spare. So wow. some sent me Melody, which is which came from him. And I thought, well, yeah, we could just make something a bit more nostalgic with this. Just, just focus mainly on a melody and just build this melody up and don't conform to any specific style with it. So then we just, from then, we just kept bouncing backwards and forwards. Um, he would send me bits, I would send him bits, and it went from there. And all done in a week? Uh, no, I like to think so, but I, t- <laughs> I spend a little bit too long on productions, so it, took, um, it probably took the best part of a month backwards okay. and forwards. So how long would it take on average for you to, for you to finish the track? Um, far too long, but um, if, if I'm fully focused and inspired and everything goes to plan then i can do it within four to five four days five days mm-hmm. which might seem a long time to a lot of people but that's quick for me i think that's pretty quick yeah um but most of the time it probably takes around a month i would say mm-hmm. maybe even longer because 
there's always something else to be doing. I might have to go on tour or there's other things to take care of. So, and I try to live a life outside of music as well. So, of course, yeah. take six weeks, I would say. Right, right. And are you someone who produces on the road or do you have to be, be in the studio? No, I have to be in the studio. Mm-hmm. I wish I could, but I take that time to reflect and to to try to move forward in different ways mentally rather than try to bash out a tune on a plane when, you, when you're not really, you know, it's, you can't really do anything creative, I don't think, in that. Yeah. All the time. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I hear people all the time talking about working or riding on the plane and i've tried but i just can't do it no. um so so ava recordings i mean 150th release have you just had the 10 year anniversary or is that something that's happening at the moment um it's happening at the moment it's i think everybody these days individuals and companies they, they their birthdays last a year <laughs> so, so you're just writing it up for the for the whole year well to be honest, we haven't really kicked it in yet. It's we're about mm. to start the the ten year thing. Right, uh, we've right. got inflation coming up, and it just coincides with the hundred fiftieth release, which is purely coincidental. So mm. uh, we're just trying to create. You know, it's, it's like these days you have to create drama on social media and stuff like that. So we're just trying to create some buzz around the whole label and what we've done so far and where we're about to go. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I want to talk about the label a bit more. I mean, it's one of my favorite labels, and I love that you're you're committed to finding and supporting new artists. I think that's really awesome. But what made you decide to start Ava Recordings in the first place? Um, the, very originally, it would have been because all the labels were kind of similar. You know, now we have like these big super labels, but at the time, every label was kind of similar, mm. and um, I just wanted to have creative control, whereas some. I didn't fully believe, and at the time, the people that were running other labels, they didn't have the, full, the exact same quality control, maybe, and, and, and direction and appreciation of some of the musical elements that I appreciated. So I decided to, to set the label up and just give it a go, basically. So what would those, uh, those musical elements be then? I'm curious. Um, it, it was just, I, can't, I could never put it into words. It was just sometimes you just know, it's the same as when you're DJing, you just know within a split second if that tune's going to be good, and yeah, if it's going to be yeah. same production quality. Um, whereas there's so many tunes that I was listening to from other labels, which instantly were just thrown into the no pile. Mm-hmm. So, so I just wanted to have a label where whatever quality control I had in my head at the time, every single tune was a yes. Right, gotcha. You must have been pretty. You must be busy, and you must have been really busy running a label and and producing and touring on the side. I mean, does that does that not get overwhelming? It did do. Uh, yeah. I have a much better balance now. So um, at the time, it was yeah. You know, I would drink too much when I was on the road and mm. wasn't exactly productive at home. So uh, and you know, you'd lose out on very basic, simple things like being able to go for a walk and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, that now I'm now everything's perfectly balanced. Well, how did you make that transition? Because I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast, there are a few, uh, you know, professional touring musicians. A lot of people just have demanding jobs and want to make music on the side. How did you make that transition from overwhelmed and a bit stressed out to, to where you are now? Uh, balanced. I'm still stressed out, but um, <laughs> I do, that's because of me, not, not for no other reason. That's just my makeup. Mm. But um, to make the balance, 
for me personally, it was touring less. Mm. Um, now that's that was the I always knew that that was the decision I had to make. So it was touring, be able to spend a period of time at home every so often just to get my body clock back in check, mm. exercise every day, make know exactly what ingredients I'm putting into my body, stuff like that. So that's what I had to do, and that's what I did. Just the uh, the essentials, the basics. Yeah, exactly. Fitness and health. Yeah, I like it. Uh, what are some of the the challenges you face right now as a record label in the music industry that seems to change so quickly? As a label, it is basically getting heard. Mm. Um, the a lot of the the big players these days have their own labels and support their own artists etc but not just that it's mainly to do with the this kind of music that we put out there the genre isn't exactly big these Mm. days Mm. it's not a genre which is is got cult status it doesn't have kids clamoring over (laughs) talking about it and it's just a a middle of the road kind of genre if i'm honest do you think that will ever change though um, yes, it will. Uh, it'll come back. It won't ever be as cool as, you know, like the 140s cool at the moment. And mm. EDM was cool to some age range and certain echelon of people back in a few years ago. So um, I think it'll, it's got the, it's got the feeling with the older clientele. I think mm. this kind of music, but young people will experience that again, just as people appreciate techno, which has got less elements than this kind of music. So, it will come come and go. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Uh, I certainly like it. So, in that case, what are your goals over the next year or so uh, with Ava? Uh, I always try to refrain from setting goals other than to try to whatever comes in our way, just try to overcome it. So, like mm-hmm. I've just said, we, we need to be heard more without being too cheesy and over the top on social media and other marketing avenues we just we've tried to let the music do the talking which is always difficult mm. but i think we're lucky to be in an, in an industry where the creative it's a creative industry therefore if something's good it should or could get heard without having to succumb to some of today's marketing avenues yeah 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 no of course uh and i think with a, a label like ava and a few other ones the music this is just how I see it, but the music kind of lasts longer. And so you get these tunes that the more mainstream tunes that pop up and have maybe a one month shelf life and that's it. And, and no one listens to them after that. It is quite difficult, as you say, with regards to the shelf life, because back in the day, a tune would be in the vinyl in your vinyl store for three, four months selling, Mm. selling hot. Now it's a week and and it's disappeared. But it's hard to judge exactly who who listens to it and for how long as well. It seems to be where I think music, when it's out on Beatport and it's new, people are listening to it, etc. But this kind of music seems to hit a chord with people a month or two afterwards, Mm. which is when I seem to get a lot of response from my music a few months after the release, which is kind of strange to try and understand. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I don't know if it takes that long for people to fully get it or they just get attached to it or mm. but it's, it's, it's kind of nice and makes yeah. me appreciate, yeah, appreciate yeah. ourselves more. Absolutely. Uh, so I want to talk about your music for a bit. Uh, I think you're, you're really known for your vocal chops and it's not surprising. I mean, some of those, some of those tracks, uh, what was I listening to just before? IB and Fade to Light. Like, it's just amazing. 
but a lot of people struggle to create good vocal chop sequences. How do you go about creating them in terms of processing, plugins, uh, all that kind of stuff? Um, it's a question I get asked a lot, but honestly, there isn't actually one set way to do it. Mm-hmm. It's all down to the track, what kind of vocals will fit in the track, what kind of feeling feeling I want to get. But with regards to the production, it's it it's just getting the scissors out and chopping it up. So you, do, decide- you just do it manually with, with yeah, the audio? Man- yeah, manually chop it up find some plugins just again just go through different things different plugins try to find something that sounds anything mm. find then bounce bits down cut take them little bits back out reverse it put it back in and then it's just using your ear and trying to get the sounds to play off whatever other sounds are in the track it just goes back to classical training basically you know to mm. try and try and create harmonies and textures and depending on what it is i'm trying to achieve so how long would you spend on because I like that answer. Uh, it's almost like you're saying there's no magic trick, which there isn't. Uh, no, the most useful tool, for, that's the initial starting point. Sorry, or sometimes The scissors. The, the scissors. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Or whatever it is you use on different um, different DAWs. Yeah, the split tool or, yeah, scissors. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so how like long would it, would it take to create a vocal chop sequence? Uh, or does it just vary too much? It varies too much sometimes, just literally, like, for example, the She Moves track, it just literally cuts mm. cut bits up and make it play with the bass line. Other times it can take a long time, and it, it sometimes it sounds too empty, so you just mm. you go along with the track. And then I would save a, a version of the project, which is where at different, pro, different times throughout my process of making the vocal. So, so I can come back to it if I need to add a bit more or take a bit more away or... You know, because it's often drowned in reverb and various other plugins. So mm-hmm. it's important to be able to come back to it to change bits. Right, gotcha. What's a uh, a production technique that you feel is underrated? Um, walk out the studio and come back about two hours later. That's, <laughs> that's one. Um, a production technique underrated. Um I mean, because the reason I asked that question, and I, I haven't asked it, I've only asked it with one other guest, uh, it's a recent question, but there always seems to be a technique that's hot at the moment in the production community. Uh, can't think of one off the top of my head, but sometimes, you know, artists have these techniques that they use a lot, uh, but but just aren't that popular. Yeah, it's a good question, actually. Um I've kind of lost touch with a lot of the people that stay hot on new techniques and stuff. I, I always literally just try to find something new myself, mm-hmm. but um, something I've, I've, I've always liked and not understood why other people don't do it is the kind of plucky kind of melodies, but then send buzz, buzz a delay to a separate buzz and then stick mm-hmm. different effects on that delay. So that the delay has different effects. And then also send a reverb from the dry signal to another buzz and stick something extra on that. So you basically got one basic layer, which is a melody, and then you've got all these other melodies, which are the original melody, but with different effects. Yeah, and that yeah. just creates depth quite easily, but then also creates, just gives it some tonal qualities which you, and harmonics and various other things, which if you try to program that in, you would never be able to do it. But it does it automatically, so just don't know why people don't do that more often. But maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe it's just because the style of plucky melodies isn't popular these days. Maybe not. I certainly do that. 
it, it seems, you know, it seems like common sense to me. Of course, you're going to bust them and it, it, like being able to affect a, a delay by itself and even sidechain it to the plaque. It's it's a fun thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the old clap on the 16th or an eighth before a big kick drop, drop in. It was always, it used to be used a lot back in the day. Mm. Big sidechain clap reverb. That'll yeah. never go old for me. I don't <laughs> know if I've got a nostalgic feeling towards it from back in the James Holden days. And Yeah, that was a every tune. <laughs> yeah. Um, this might be a bit of a hard question, but if, if someone had six months because uh, there are a lot of new producers who listen to this. If someone had six months to become a, a decent producer, and I use that word carefully, what would you suggest they do? Uh, what would be the best way to practice or learn beyond just spending a lot of time making music, which is necessary, of course? Um, six months. I su- if they're trying to make electronic music, I suppose you would you would start from just understanding MIDI and audio. Mm. And then I suppose you'll progress to, I think I'd start with just listening to tunes and trying to analyze why they are quality and mm-hmm. and then listening to a production that you've made and, and understanding why that isn't, if it isn't. And then just stripping it back. Uh, I don't know, it's a difficult question really. It, un- understanding what every tool is, so EQ, um, compression, just understanding why it's used, mm-hmm. for what purpose you're trying to use it. Don't, a lot of people put, plugins onto things because they think they have to whereas they don't really know why they're doing it yeah yeah i've noticed that a lot i better add a compressor to this channel because that's what i'm supposed to do people stick compressors on kicks and things like that and they don't know why (laughs) so um yeah i I think that would be one thing to do um what i do say to some people is find your niche there's so many people which have got potential talent or have got talent but you've got potential to express that talent in the music. They, um, they, they copy off whatever music is out there at the, at the time. So when the EDM was explosion was happening, they would just be copying off elements of EDM. Well, I don't think you're ever going to become something special. If you do that, mm. I think you need to explore all the different sounds and styles and there will be some genre, which will hit a chord. And I think when you've got that passion for a specific sound, then it'll come through when you start learning the music. You'll have like a subconscious a subconscious draw towards that style, which will make you just work harder naturally. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that. I like that. And and the thing you said about analyzing music, I think, is uh, super important too. Yeah. Uh, following on from that then, what are some of the the biggest mistakes that you see new producers making? Um, I suppose some of that is going to be in my previous answer. They, mm-hmm. they just trying to copy off other tracks. Um, I'm not sure really. There's, there's so much music where people have got the basics and are almost there, but it's just, they're just doing what other, what's already been done, but not mm-hmm. as good as what's already been done which is the problem with trying to copy off other people because you've got to make it as good as those people. Otherwise you're not as good. <laughs> well, if you're trying to do something new, then you could be a pioneer in that. Therefore you've got no competition. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I, I agree with you, but I think a lot of people feel like they almost have to fit. Yeah. I fully appreciate that. And it, that's the problem. That is the problem these days. They have to fit into a certain cliche, cliche to, uh, 
a certain genre to to get heard. Mm-hmm. Mm. But it's a good question. It's, yeah, it, I, I like that question, and it's it's one that's difficult to answer really because there's yeah, so yeah. There's, much, there's so many tracks which I get sent for the label, and I, I want to help them. And some some artists I do, and I'm trying to help them finish it off. Mm. But all I can do most of the time is just offer advice on how to do some, how to get to that next level to make it special. Well, do you think? And and this is kind of the question I've always been asking myself because uh, I get a lot of people asking how do I how do I come up with the signature sound like how do I sound unique? Uh, and I've always kind of believed that it happens unless you're trying to copy someone else uh, actively. It kind of happens over time. You eventually develop a signature sound, uh, but maybe that's not the case. Uh, maybe it's something you have to consciously work towards. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it could be something that happens eventually after many years of production? Yes, I think I think that happens anyway. Mm. Um, from my own experience, even when I've tried to change styles, it naturally moves back towards the style I'm known for anyway. Mm-hmm. So it just happens. So I'll try to start off with an intention of making a slightly different tune with a different feel, but it will naturally evolve into what I naturally make, which makes me think that's just what's in me. That's just who I am even if I'm consciously trying to do otherwise. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and is that something that's come over the years? I mean, did you ever say Probably, you yeah. six months into production? I think it's just a whole history of my, I'm quite, what's the word called? I'm quite solemn. Mm. Um, maybe that's what comes through with, with my musical elements and the depth. I think that kind of hits a chord with people as well. So mm. even if you try to make something happy, it'll, it'll end up deep. Thoughtful. That's interesting. Yeah, I brought that up because I feel like some people uh, get really stressed out about the whole signature sound thing and they almost try too hard to have a signature sound and by doing so, they don't have one at all uh, or it sounds like someone else. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. And I think people find sounds that they like and like, for example, my preset my presets are so small whereas when i make tunes with other people they have mm. a bank of their own sounds which they use for everything and i think that's quite dangerous as well because you, you can make tunes quickly mm. but the next tune is going to sound very similar to your previous tune mm-hmm. so i think exploring I, I go i go looking for hats all over the place and just claps and i make claps out of just i can make claps out of anything basically so that gives you a way to make something different than your previous track at least in with regards to the, the sounds being used. Right, for sure. So do you spend a lot of time uh, doing sound design or, or sourcing that material? Because I know I was watching an interview with, with Sean Tice the other day and he said he spends, he said he could spend weeks just on sound design. You know, eventually it would yeah. lead to a track or something. Yeah, I think that's another danger of people like Sean and myself. We probably overspend time doing that when mm-hmm. it, it does contribute massively to the end outcome. Sometimes it's just a way of numbing your mind as well because you don't have to be, you don't have to think too much to, to consciously think. To well, maybe you do actually. It, it's just like a, it's quite soothing to just go looking for sounds and try to create drum patterns and yeah, yeah, atmospherics and stuff like that. I mean, I love spending time on breakdowns. Just adding one, I'll spend a day just adding something which you can hardly hear, and it's it it is a waste of time, but it's just something that I personally enjoy doing. Is it a waste of time though? I mean, so I feel well, like. Maybe, 
yeah, you're right, actually. It, to the majority of people, it could be. But, mm. it, again, it's a, it's a subconscious way that people – it adds depth and people don't understand, can't tell why it's, it's mm. deeper, why it's got that depth to it. But maybe that is the reason why. Yeah, that makes sense. A uh, few more questions. Do you have any routines, habits – well, first of all, do you encounter creative block? And if so, do you have any routines, habits, or tricks that you use to, to overcome it? Yeah, I suffer from creative uh, creative block definitely. Um, to get over it, the the most obvious one is just it's time away. I think um, that's I don't know if it's overrated or underrated these days, but just going for a walk and I can come back and try to listen to other music, so you're not humming the melody or the tune that you were making. Uh, come back and then that's that normally solves everything. But if I've been working on a tune for a long time and I've been listening to, say, I've, I started a tune, uh, I've had a break from that tune for a month. The problem, I have a big problem then because I'm almost getting happy with the tune as it was rather than mm. I'm getting used to it because I've been listening to it. I think uh, that's quite dangerous for myself because I don't want to move it forward. I, I, the more, The longer I spend away from that tune, the less likely I am to want to make the right changes to it to, yeah, to make yeah. it better. Yeah, I struggle with the same thing. I've yeah. never heard someone say that before. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's tough. It uh, is, especially if you've got a tune which you've, you you want to demo. You know it's not ready, but mm. you, you demo it out in clubs and then you get used to it. And then when it comes time to finish it, you think, oh, that'll do. Or I'll just mm. finish it like this. So I have to consciously make myself erase it from my mind and then start again with that tune so I know exactly what needs to be done to finish it, which is very difficult. Yeah, of course. So what would your, if you can answer this, what would your ratio be of, of uh, projects started to projects finished and released? It's quite high, actually. Um, but I, I have a lot of ideas which aren't necessarily dance music mm. related, um, which, are all, which are all there, which is what I enjoy making when, you know, it's quite, there's no pressure to do that because you don't have to fit into a certain style. I can just make tunes. I've got all, I've got a lot of those tunes almost finished, ready for like a future album. But with regards to dance music, um, it's I'd say around ninety five percent to be honest. Ninety five percent get released. Yeah, because if I don't, Amazing. if I don't, it, then I'll just reuse the drums for something else. Mm-hmm. That's really honest, high. <laughs> well, actually, we're saying that it's each tune that I make probably has about. 10 tunes that don't get released within that tune so every mm. tune that i make has 10 different melodies before i come up with the main melody it'll have 10 different bass lines before i come up with the bass line so if you think about it it's probably 10 percent. yeah that seems <laughs> that seems more common um 90 uh, worth of, yeah you get me yeah 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 what is your what does your workflow look like then because uh, i know some people like to you know work on drums first and maybe come up with a melodic idea later on or they mix at the end or mix as they go what is what does your workflow look like if i don't have any specific inspiration or idea of what i'm going to do then it'll always start with drums Mm. just get some kind of drums in there and then i'll potentially try and make a groove with the bass line so that the the grooves there and i feel that the groove is often funkier than a normal standard trance groove so that'll set me off in a slightly different route which which is what I like, um, and then, but sometimes it'll just be chords, or I'll have a chord idea. But you know, every chord's been done to death anyway, so it's not like you're being creative when you come up with chords. 
I'm glad you said so, that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it'll just be sounds or just something. If I've, if I've been listening to something which I really like, I might think, oh, I'll, I'll have a go at creating something similar to that with with regards to the baseline or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it, it differs, but I'd certainly start with drums if I'm if I'm starting from scratch. I'll just get some nice drums going and a groove, a bass line, maybe yeah. add a few and just spend some uh, stupid amount of time making nice drums because I know if I, if I don't do it at the beginning, it probably won't get done at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good point. Uh, you know, the, your music's quite... I don't know if complex is the right word, but there's a lot going on, you know, a lot of layers and so on. And a question from a listener, uh, how do you, how can you gauge when enough is enough versus adding extra air candies and and details? Um, I'm not sure. I think it's if, if there's space, whether it's, um, harmonic space or if it's space with regards to how much, depth there is there how many sounds there is um it's also about getting the feeling if if i'm trying to mostly when i add layers it's try to, to try to evoke a feeling yeah so if that if i haven't succeeded then i'll just keep going or sometimes i'll think it sounds too mono so i'll stick some of the layers to the left and add some more to the right um just for the same sound just slightly different to or slightly different so that's the way to create depth but to to know when there's enough. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's probably a subjective thing, you know. Like you know. It's, it's that whole feeling. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Well, it's hard to explain, but you kind of you kind of know. For sure. Or, um, or yeah. lines running out, then you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, three more questions. Uh, if you could collaborate with one person, and I don't have to be in the dance music scene, who would it be and why? It does have to be, or it doesn't. It doesn't have to be. Ooh. I'm not sure. It'd have to be, again, I'm not sure. There's so many. It'd have to be like a, a vocalist, some kind of vocalist, which just really hits a, a chord or a raw nerve mm-hmm. with me. So I'm not sure. That's a good question, but there's too many. <laughs> yeah. some, some sweet vocalists where all they need all they need is a guitar behind them and a well-produced vocal and it just sends shivers down my spine so yeah. a lot of it's American kind of style music some of it's even country music but somebody like that I, I think and yeah. what I'd love to work with those kind of voices and the quality of sweetness of the voice I know what you mean and I can't think of anyone off the top of my head but I know <laughs> I know who you mean um, okay. I tried to be different but actually I just can't remember the names yeah 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 uh Let's say, okay, you're stuck on a desert island. You've got uh, logic, a computer, decent pair of headphones, but you're only allowed three effect plugins, uh, external, third party, and one synth plugin. What are they? Oh, synth plugin would be the CS80. Interesting. Uh, not not of the new ones, but you know something just classic sound like that, just because. It creates the, the probably for nostalgic reasons again. Mm-hmm. Um, effects plugins. What? How many? Uh three. Two to three. Uh, probably. Oh, I don't know. Good <laughs> question. I'd have to have a look through my, my plugin rack. Um, I love the sound toys stuff. So maybe one of the sound toys delays. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it got filters built into them, so I don't need to add a filter into that EQ equation. Um, and I'm not sure. Maybe a tape saturation one, just so because it'll go nicely with the CS80. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Good picks. Um, cool, man. Well, any last words of advice for the listeners? Um, don't. I suppose the industry is different now. It's difficult. Um, it, well, it could be perceived as difficult. It's actually not that difficult once you uh, understand how it all works. But it can be difficult to get heard. Don't don't give up. Keep trying to hone your craft. Make it as good as you can be. And uh, don't listen to some of the people high up if they ignore you or don't like a tune because there'll be somebody out there which does and who's also prepared to give you time and advice. So, yeah, good luck. Brilliant. All right, thanks again, Andy. Thank you, Sam.